Well, thanks again for being here at Grace today. Appreciate you being part of us. And if you're a parent of an upward uh, student, uh, we'll, we'll just let you know that they're going back to a party right now. And about the time we dismiss our service, they'll be done. And so we appreciate you being here. It's a busy time of the year. As you know, we've, we've had our first event on Monday. We had Soar Dunk in our new, uh, new complex back here. It's not even quite finished yet. And then on Wednesday night, we had our first youth rally. We had over 400 teens show up, 400 teenagers uh, for that event. That's cool, right? And uh, so we're just excited. And then, of course, Palm Sunday today, a lot of stuff going on with our Upward. And, uh, and then tonight we have, that's why I'm wearing this shirt, we have something called a Fight Club for Men uh, of Grace Community, 18 and up, 10-week challenge. And so that's happening tonight at 10 o'clock. But it's not only busy at church, it's busy for me personally. You know what happened this weekend? My youngest daughter became engaged to Calvin Spriggs. They're hiding right back there. So congratulations to them. And uh, things are changing all the time. And then we we got a busy week in coming up. Uh, Another rally on Wednesday. And then, of course, Good Friday. And then next weekend's Easter weekend. So we have four identical services. One Saturday at 6 o'clock. And then our normal service times on Sunday next week, 8.30, 10, 11.30. Love to have you. So that's, that's kind of the commercials. We've been in a, a series called Uncovering the Historical Jesus. And we're doing that for a reason. And, and because Jesus is so well known, the most famous person in history, a lot of people, most people, almost everyone knows a little bit about Jesus. But the problem is when you know just a little bit about somebody We tend to fill in the rest of who that person is with our own personal expectations of who they ought to be. And when you do that, a lot of times you end up with an inaccurate view of that person. That's exactly what happens to Jesus. People know just a little bit about him, and then they kind of fill in all the blanks with their personal expectations of who they think he should be. And then they have an inaccurate view of Jesus. They basically have a made-up Jesus in their own mind. And there's good news and bad news with that. The good news is if you make up a Jesus in your own mind, he'll probably never offend you. The bad news is you make up a Jesus in your own mind, he can never help you. He can never save you. He can never transform your life because he's not real. So here at Grace... Uh, We want to make sure that we're dialed in to the historical Jesus. And the way we do that is by studying the Bible. The New Testament is a first century account of the life of Christ, especially the first four books in the New Testament called the Gospels for first century eyewitness accounts of what Jesus uh, did, who he was, what he said, what he did in his life. And that's where we're diving in. Palm Sunday is a a special day. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. And it's called Palm Sunday because it's the day, uh, the Sunday before Jesus' death and his resurrection, when he came publicly into Jerusalem. And the crowds were shouting and waving, Hosanna. And uh, and that's Palm Sunday. And that's what we're celebrating today. And I want to go to a a first century eyewitness account called Matthew and read about that event in history. It's Matthew 21, beginning with verse 1. Here's what it says. 
When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went out and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. And the crowds were going ahead of him, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. And he overturned the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a robber's den. That's what happened 2,000 years ago on the first Palm Sunday. Now, as we look at that, and and we kind of dig through this story in in a few minutes that we have, I want us to see three timeless truths, true then and true now. First truth, the crowds welcome, uh, the crowds are excited, uh, the crowds get pumped and enjoy welcoming a superficial Jesus. Now, I say superficial because that's what happens when they don't really know who exactly Jesus is. They, they've kind of created who Jesus is in their own mind and they're welcoming him kind of that way. A lot of you know that a couple weeks ago, uh, several of us from Grace were visiting Thailand where Grace Community Church of Fremont has two orphanages. And so we support two orphanages. We hire uh, the staff there, built the buildings, and we take care of them. We go visit them. We try to get over there every year. And our team went over, and I was actually a little late. I had stopped in Japan, and then I was catching up to them about halfway through their trip. And I showed up at the Chiang Mai airport, uh, it's like 8 in the morning, uh, one morning. And what happens when you show up in Chiang Mai, which is near uh, where our orphanages are, is that... A delegation of our kids always greet you at the airport. It's a little weird because they treat you like a king and it can be a little awkward. Well, so I came in, I was by myself and sure enough, same thing. There's a delegation of some of the kids who are greeting me. I've got a picture of it. Um, and, And first they hand me this huge bouquet of roses. And then there's something that I didn't, this is my embarrassed look, by the way. And then I didn't know But I I started realizing the kids all had the same shirt on. And on their shirt is actually a picture of me on Super Bowl Sunday 
watching the Super Bowl and holding my two grandkids. They had found out that I just, my, my two oldest kids both had a grandchild in the last few months. So I had two new grandkids. And so I'm, I'm holding them. And it took me a while to realize that, that they are all wearing a picture of me. So it's just kind of awkward. I mean, that's kind of the way they do things. They treat you like a king. I'm not a king, but they, they, they treat you real good. And so that's me looking kind of embarrassed and walking through. And that's just a few of the kids uh, that were there. Of course, the rest of the guys from Grace uh, and the ladies that were there, I heard all the time I wasn't around was covering my face up on their pictures and putting their own faces and stuff like that. But anyway, so that's kind of how it goes. Well, here's, what, here's what's happening. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. And, and they're welcoming him like a king. I, I mean, they are, they're glad that he's here. They, they're excited about Jesus. They recognize him as Messiah from the line of David, meaning that he's qualified to be their king. So they're, they're pumped about that. But what they wanted was a distorted Jesus. They wanted a political Jesus who would come in take leadership like they thought the Messiah was going to do and overthrow Rome who was dominating them and occupying their country. So that's the Jesus they wanted, but that's not who Jesus really is. And so they're excited, but they don't really understand who Jesus is. And at this point, they don't understand why he came. And then when the city heard all the commotion with all the shouts as he comes into the city, they're asking, hey, what's up? What's going on? What's all the commotion? And then they say, Jesus, a prophet from the city of Nazareth in Galilee. And, And when they say that, Jesus, a prophet, it's like they're accurate and they're also inaccurate. They're accurate in that Jesus came as prophet, as priest, as king. So that's true. Jesus did come as a prophet. But it's inaccurate because Jesus was so much more than just another one of their Old Testament prophets that showed up one day. He's much, much more than that. And it just took them a long time uh, to figure all that out. And it's the same way today. People today welcome and embrace a superficial Jesus. Because when they don't really understand who Jesus is, uh, it's easy to fill in the blanks. And, and then they, they embrace a Jesus who comes meek and mild and says things like, love your neighbors and don't judge. But they don't embrace a Jesus that says, by your fruits you will know them. Who says that we're all, that he's coming as God and has judged us guilty, all of us, of sin which is so serious, deserves as a punishment an eternity in hell separated from him. This Jesus, people don't want to mess with. That's not the Jesus they want to embrace. But when they reject that Jesus, that's the real Jesus. And and there's a danger of just kind of accepting a Jesus uh, in your own mind that's not real. So that's the first truth. Second truth is, the real historical Jesus offended people. I mean, this, that was the offensive part. That he claimed to be God. And also, as God, judged us to be guilty and deserving of punishment, which equals an eternity separated from him. That's offensive to people. Because people, especially in our culture... 
they know they're not perfect, but they don't think they're so bad that they deserve an eternity separated from God. So they don't get that. And so that's not the Jesus that they're looking for. And, uh, and that's kind of what happens. But look here, the real Jesus here, he says he's God. He accepts all the praise as he's coming into Jerusalem. The shouts of Hosanna, which basically means save us, son of David. He's from the kingly line who comes in the name of God, sent by God to help save them. It's just that they wanted salvation from Rome and, and Jesus was coming for a much bigger reason to save all humanity who would follow him. Triumphal entry is interesting because as he comes in and they're shouting that way, uh, they would expect, that, that's how they greeted a, a conquering hero. And so as they heard the shouts, no doubt some people you know, ran to, to get a glimpse, a peek of Jesus. But instead of seeing a conquering hero on a war horse or in a chariot, what'd they see? Jesus riding the colt of a donkey. It's almost like Jesus is trying to, to get them to, to adjust their expectations. Just right and in, in even doing that. The other thing is Jesus not only claims to be God, but Jesus goes in the temple and basically says, this is my house, which was huge in the first century. You got to realize a lot of people, we view the temple kind of like church and, and it's really not. It, it is and it isn't. Uh, the temple and church, you know, it's places where we can worship God. But the temple in Israel was way more than that. The temple was like uh, the Capitol building. It was like Wall Street, uh, the Vatican. It was uh, the White House. It was all that rolled into one. It was, it was the treasury, the U.S. treasury. It was like everything balled into one. That was the temple. Nobody messed with the temple. The temple was the center of economic, religious, and political power. You just didn't mess with the temple. And as Jesus came into Jerusalem and then went to the elevated Temple Mount, uh, this is many acres uh, of area. Herod the Great had extended the Temple Mount. And then you had the temple complex, and it was sort of designed to be more restrictive the, the more you went toward the center. The first thing that you had come to in the temple was called the Court of the Gentiles. And the Court of the Gentiles was the biggest area of the temple, and God had reserved this area for Jewish people to tell non-Jewish people about God and a place for non-Jewish people to pray to God. And they'd go to the temple because they felt like even though they could worship in local synagogues, they went to the temple because they felt that this is where the presence of God is. So court of the Gentiles, but then inside the court of the Gentiles was another court called the court of women. And in the court of women, all Jewish people could go into that, but no non-Jews. So no Gentiles could go there. And then inside the court of women was the court of Israel. And the court of Israel only allowed ritually clean or ritually pure uh, Jewish males. So the Jewish men who had gone through all the ritual cleanings, they were allowed into the court of Israel. And then, now this is pretty small, now just right around the porch kind of of the temple proper was the court of priests, and only priests, Jewish priests, could be there. And then you had inside the temple called the holy place, 
And then inside the temple, there is a cube blocked off called the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was like the radioactive core of all Judaism where God dwelt. And it was separated by the rest of the inside of the temple by a thick curtain that hung about two stories high. And the only person that could go in the Holy of Holies was the high priest of Israel could go in and he could only do that one time a year. That's how restrictive the Holy of Holies is. So that's what the temple's all about. Don't mess with the temple. When Jesus comes, he enters the court of the Gentiles and all of a sudden there is a bunch of commotion going on. There were people selling animals that were required for the sacrifice. People exchanging money because the Jewish people didn't like uh, coins that had images on them. They thought that was a violation of God's commandments. And so they'd trade in for coins that didn't have images. And so all this economic hustle and bustle is happening in the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus knows this is all wrong. Even though they needed animals, the animals used to be surrounding Jerusalem. People would travel from long distance. They wouldn't have a perfect lamb or pigeons or whatever whatever economic class they fell into to give their sacrifice to God, they wouldn't have always those animals if they traveled from a distance. So it's natural that they would buy them locally in Jerusalem. But all that buying and selling moved from the fields around Jerusalem to inside the city walls of Jerusalem, and now it's moved into the temple proper. And because all that economic activity is happening in there, what's not happening is the purpose for the court of the Gentiles that non-Jewish people could learn about God and pray to God. That wasn't happening because all this other stuff is going on. And so Jesus protests that. And he goes in and he starts throwing tables upside down. He, he causes like a little mini riot in the court of the Gentiles. It causes quite a stir. And, and people are stunned by this. You don't mess with the temple. And he's throwing tables around. As a matter of fact, John tells us when Jesus cleansed the temple that he, he got some cords and he made them into a whip. Now, I'm assuming if Jesus is using a whip, that sometimes that may have landed on some people, right? That's not the Jesus we think about, right? Right? That's the real historical Jesus who's zealous about the temple, zealous about his father. And he causes all this stuff. And when he does that, the people are stunned. I mean, they're, they're looking at Jesus, they're watching him do it, and they're thinking, either this guy is very confused or he's the bravest man I've ever seen. Because when he did that, he signed his own death warrant. As a matter of fact, all four gospel witnesses to this event tell us that it was at this point in history that the chief priests decide Jesus has to die. He's challenging the authority of the temple. And so that kind of sets the whole stage for the week. And it's just a few days later, Jesus is crucified. And it's the same way today. People are offended by the real Jesus who says he's God and declares us guilty and deserving of punishment, even an eternal hell. Yeah, people don't want to hear that. That's not the Jesus they want to follow. But people came to the temple once a year 
typically. They, they could worship in synagogues locally, but they'd always try to get to the temple at least once a year. But when they came to the temple, they had to bring a sacrifice. And a lot of people today are a little confused about that. It's like, why a sacrifice? Why does an innocent animal have to die? Well, they did that to kind of clear the air with God. Imagine it this way. What if, uh, what if you were um, young and married and you didn't have kids and you decided the desire of your heart was to adopt a child? And adoption's expensive, so you started saving your money and just really cutting your budget and limiting your lifestyle to save up enough money until you finally were able to adopt your daughter. And then you raise her and you make sacrifices for her. Again, you, you, know, she, you try to give her everything that you think she needs. And then let's say she hits high school and you realize that, that she really wants to go to college. And college is expensive, so you start saving, saving, scrimping, cutting the lifestyle back again, and just, just scrimping every dime you can get together in order to put her through her first year of college. And now it's time for her to go. And so you give her the money for her first year's tuition, and she pulls out of the driveway and waves on her way to school. But then something happens. She makes a detour on her way to school, and she goes to Daytona Beach. And in Daytona Beach, she starts living like a rock star. I mean, she's partying, she's having a blast, she's spending money, she's burning through that tuition money, and you're watching it all on her Facebook account. You're just like, what is going on? And she's just party, party, and she's down there three weeks, just partying like a rock star, just burning through her money, and about a month after she left, she, you hear her car pull into the driveway. And so you're tuned in, and she comes through the door, she, she hops over to the fridge, grabs a Coke, opens it, jumps down in the couch and says, how you guys doing? What's for dinner? I'm starved. What do you say? Well, what you don't say is, well, we're having spaghetti for dinner. Great to see you. Uh, hope you had a nice trip. You know, something has got to give. There is tension, right? So you might say something like, whoa, young lady, what are you thinking? You know, and you'll have a serious discussion. You know, hopefully you're not putting together some cords to make a whip. But, you know, you're having this discussion. You're saying, what is going on? What do you think you're doing? What, what'd you do? Because your attitude would be, hey, I love you. And I want a relationship with you. But you are guilty of violating our trust. And we need to clear the air somehow. That's what the sacrifice was. It was the Jewish people understood. They had the law. For us, it's like the Ten Commandments, sort of the, the condensed moral law. And when, when they're focused on that, they realize, just like we should be, we just don't focus on it as much, that we cannot keep the law. We can't do it. We keep violating God's law. Never tell a lie. Never want somebody, somebody else has, you know, never... Murder or even hate in your heart. Never lust or, or commit it. On and on it goes. Always keep God first. Always honor your parents. All these laws, that just, that's just 10. And we can't keep them. And we realize that that has put us in violation of God. We've not done what God's telling us to do. We're in rebellion against God. We're guilty of violating God's trust. 
And so the Jewish people understood that better than, than we do. And so they understood the remedy for that when they wanted to be near to God was to come to Jerusalem and bring a sacrifice, purchase an innocent animal. The, the size of the animal depended on where you were economically, so everybody could participate. And, how, and that animal would be, this innocent animal would shed its blood in payment for your sin to temporarily cover you so that you could enter into God's presence. And what that did, that whole sacrificial system, was teaching God's people that sin has consequences. And they're serious. They require blood. And so that's what people did. All that just to, to clear the air. That's what the sacrifice was for. And Jesus came to say, hey, I'm coming as the perfect lamb of God. I'm coming to be the sacrifice of all sacrifices. I'm coming as the perfect lamb that when my blood is shed, no other blood ever has to be shed again. I'm dying for you to pay your penalty for sin once and for all and forever. And the way we access that to credit our account, the way we get that to count for us, is when we respond to Jesus in faith or belief or, or trust, all connected there, just when we respond in trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. And so when you think about that, you realize it's kind of the same way today. People are still offended by Jesus. I mean, the whole, all the crowds are shouting Hosanna, and what, five days later? They're crucifying Christ, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. See, they're offended by Jesus. And that's the way it is today. When we talk to people, a lot of times uh, we'll interact with them and, and maybe talk to people about Jesus. Basically, because Jesus has done something for us and, and we're no better than anybody else. And Jesus is offering to do this for anybody. And so we're, we're sharing that good news, which is called the gospel, what Jesus did for us. But when you start talking to people, a lot of times they're okay with Jesus, especially in America in our culture. Yeah, but Jesus is okay, great teacher, yeah. But when you start saying, but he came to do something, and it's because of your guilt. People don't like that. Because we always compare ourselves to other people, and we can always think of somebody worse than us, and then that always makes us feel pretty, pretty good about ourselves. Well, I'm no Hitler. I'm no Saddam. You know, and, and we feel good, but we're comparing ourselves to the wrong person. We need to compare ourselves to our creator who's given us a righteous standard. And we always come up short when we do that. And we're guilty. And the consequences are greater than we think because of who we're sinning against. A perfect, righteous, infinite God. And the consequences are hell forever, separation from God forever because God is perfectly just and he has to deal with sin. You see, God knows you. He knows more about you than you do. He knows your every thought. He knows your every motive. He knows your every sin. And he knows that we're all guilty. 
and justice, God's perfect justice, demands that our sin be punished. But because God also loves all of us, he allowed his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth to live a perfect, sinless life. He lived the life that we should have lived. And then after that, as the perfect sacrifice, he allowed himself to be tortured to death by his own creation. That's what Jesus did. To pay for our individual sins. But the only way we get that credited to us is when we respond to him in faith. It's not about any religious ritual. It's not about baptism. It's not about confirmation. It's not about anything that we can do physically. It's not about coming to church, even Grace Community. That's not what it's about. It's about placing your trust in Christ and Christ alone, knowing who he is, God in flesh, and what he did, died on the cross to pay your sin penalty. And when you know that, then you can come to Christ asking him for forgiveness. Cry out to God asking him for forgiveness and realizing that you can't bring anything to the table to help with that. That there's nothing you can do that earns or merits God's favor. It's all grace. It's all a gift. Christ is offering it to you. But you have to humble yourself to realize he is the only way. We can't do it. Only he could. And the freeing thing about that is when you become a believer that way, you never have to worry or doubt about your salvation because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what Christ has already done. He's already accomplished for you. You're just humbly asking. And he will always say yes. So just before we close, in a minute or two, um, I, I, I would just close, but I, I feel like maybe I should give you the opportunity just to make that decision right now before we leave. And I know many of you that haven't made that decision won't be able to make that decision. So suddenly, and that's okay, come back, hang out with Grace. We'd love to have you, and we'll answer any question you have if you ask us. Let's bow our heads right now, and I'm going to pray a prayer, which is a sinner prayer. What, what I'm saying is, if you can't look back on your life and know a time, a day, an event in your life where you have fallen on the mercy of God, understanding you're a sinner and what Christ did, and ask him to come into your life, it's time. And by the way, if you've ever done that, you'll know that's real because your life will begin to change. Your life will begin to be transformed you won't be the same afterwards. Some people change real fast suddenly and some people change slowly over time, but your life will change. So if you can't look back to that event that somehow changed your life, then my fear for you is that you're not a believer, not really. Or even if you went through something at some time, you were just, uh, you're just talking to a superficial Jesus, not a God who's your judge. So I'd like to lead you in a prayer. You don't say it out loud or anything. God knows your every thought. It just needs to be sincere. You don't even have to do it in church. You can do it at home this afternoon or on the road somewhere. Pull over and, and talk to God.
but I'm inviting you today to, to pray this prayer to him right now, a prayer of faith. Something like this in your own words before God silently. If you're not 100% sure you're a believer, pray this way. Father God in heaven, I understand that I, and, and believe that I'm a sinner against you. And God, I understand that that deserves uh, serious consequences, hell. But God, I also know that you love me. And because of your great love, you allowed your one and only son, Jesus, to come and, and live a perfect life and ultimately die on the cross in payment for my personal sins. God, I thank you for that. And I, I'm asking you for forgiveness based on Jesus alone. I want you to come into my life through your spirit and help me to live your way. Help me to follow you. Change my life. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for loving us, not just with words, but incredible action, earth-shaking action. The death of your son 2,000 years ago that split human history in two. I thank you for loving us like that. Lord, thanks for grace. Thanks for the people who are here with Upward and other uh, people who are with us maybe for the first time. Lord, we pray that we'd all be able to come together and learn more about you. God, thanks. Thank you most of all for Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, here, here's what we're going to do at dismissal. Uh, if... If you're a parent of an upward participant, I'm going to let you go first in just a moment. Here's what you, I'm going to give you instructions. Are you ready? All right. Not, not overwhelming there, but okay. I, I want you, you're going to go right out this main door. And then do you know where the, U, the old youth center was? The old youth center? Anybody tracking with me? Yeah, it's right through this building where we were doing all the upward stuff and then hang a right. That's the old youth center because this is the new center. That's actually going to be our fourth and fifth grade center uh, starting right about now. And so just go there, walk through the youth center and toward the chapel, and they'll have your kid there. So your child, I should say, will be there waiting for you. So let's all stand together. Let's let the uh, upward parents have a head start. And then for the rest of you, just want to remind you, next Sunday's Easter. Remember, Saturday, 6 Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Thanks for being here. You're dismissed. Have a great day.